gospel. So that's what we're going to be doing now. We're going to be looking at a series, just a three-part series, starting today and carrying on over the next couple of weeks, looking at one of our culture traits. As a church, there's certain things that we want to have as hallmarks, as certain characteristics, a feel about a place. We want it to be a place that is known for certain attributes, for each one of us to carry that individually as well as when we gather together, and that it is so part of who we are. Like Emma was saying, and she was impressed again from the, the leader's two days, that we carry it wherever we go. So we want these traits of honour and courage, integrity, generosity, acceptance and forgiveness to be something that we so get hold of, not just in our heads, but in everything we do, in the way we think, the way we act, the way we speak, that would be a contagious thing. And we carry into our workplaces, into our streets, into the shops, into our, uh, our families, wherever we go. And it's worth just reminding and stating the obvious, you know, you are the only one who goes where you go during the week. You might be the only Christian, you might be the only uh, follower of Christ that goes into that particular context. And you have an opportunity to change the atmosphere. So we're we're looking to establish these six culture traits. And so far, over the last year or so, we've we've looked at honour and courage and integrity. And it's not that those are forgotten anymore, definitely not. We hope that that's something we keep striving and pressing into. But we're going to be looking at generosity over these next few weeks. And then later on, probably towards the end of the year, if not into 2018, looking at acceptance and forgiveness. So we're looking at generosity this week. And as a church and as individuals, we want to be people who serve others with our time, our resources and our gifts. And generosity is more than just about money, though it certainly includes that. And I'm going to be focusing particularly on the use of our money today that we would be generous with our money and our resources. Uh, And I can't talk about this subject without giving a book recommendation. To me, this is the all-time go-to book when thinking about generosity and about giving. And I've mentioned it many times before, and I don't apologise for doing so again. It's Money, Possessions and Eternity by Randy Olcorn. I would give a health warning on it, though. If you read it, be prepared to be undone and challenged because this book to me is so provoking every time I reread it I think I've moved on I think oh my goodness god I've got so far to go in this area it is really really challenging amazing book thoroughly recommend it it's a it looks like a thick book but it's literally is that the word no I don't know but in terms of actually reading it it's quite easy to read but then to process it is the hard bit okay so thoroughly recommend that book to you But to get you going on this, I thought I'd give you a slightly shorter book. And this is a book that Lizzie and Joanna wrote uh, for the kids because they've been working through the culture traits as well. So I'm going to start by reading Little Miss Generous to you this morning. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't got the pictures to go up there behind me like I did when I read uh, Mr. True, when we were looking at integrity. But this is Little Miss Generous, just to get us started on this topic of generosity. So I'll do it like when I used to be a teacher. Little Miss Generous has been invited to a birthday party. There she is. She's very excited. You can see all the streamers going around and her kind of popping out of her. She's getting excited about going to a birthday party. It was Little Miss Friend's birthday. Little Miss Generous wanted to buy her a really good present because she was such a good friend. When Little Miss Generous looked in her money box, she saw that she only had 20p. 
she could put it in the Heart Young Homeless book. <laughs> this wasn't enough to buy a really good present. And she's looking very worried, sad that she's only got 20p to give. Little Miss Generous had a think and had an idea. She would give Little Miss Friend a different kind of present. She spent the 20p on Little Miss Friend's favourite chocolate bar and spent the rest of the afternoon drawing a picture for Little Miss Friend. This is very strange doing this in front of you. All the other people at the party had brought big expensive presents. There they are, a pile of big presents. But Little Miss Friend loved Little Miss Generous's present because it was so thoughtful and she had spent lots of time drawing the picture. There we go. We're to be a generous people. God is a generous God and he wants to reflect something of his character through us to the world around us. And in many ways it seems very strange odd standing up here to talk about generosity to KCC because you are such a generous people already. You know, we, we went to this Catalyst Leaders Day and because there hasn't, wasn't Catalyst Festival, we took up this offering and it just blew me away that as a church, you know, from you here, we were able to take £6,000 to that offering. It's just mind-blowing the generosity within this room you know that added in to all the other churches the total yesterday was over 150,000 pounds you're a generous people already so in many ways it seems strange to do it but actually as we'll see when we come on to looking at a little bit at Paul's letter to the Corinthians second letter to the Corinthians they were a generous people but he was pressing them to go even further and that's what I want us to be I want us to press even further you're also so generous in your regularly give, regular giving to the church. You go way and above. You know, we've already heard Darren saying how in so many areas we punch above our weight. I believe you give way above. You punch above your weight in your generosity to the regular giving in the church already. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that and being responding to the Holy Spirit's promptings in that. You know, I'm so grateful to God for giving each of us money to be able to give, but also prompting us to do that too. But we can always spur each other on even further. It's like, there's, to me, there's a scale of generosity from the really stingy person who never gives anything right through to someone who's really got hold of kingdom values and kingdom views on handling money and being generous. And I want this morning is to help nudge you and shunt you along that scale wherever you feel you might be at. And we're going to continue, consider two opposites in handling money. We're going to look at an Old Testament example of the, the Jewish nation who were not handling money well at all in terms of generosity and giving. And then we're going to consider the New Testament example from the second letter to the Corinthians about Paul encouraging and, and flagging up a godly way of handling money and being generous. So let's first of all look at the unsatisfied consumer who is talked about in this passage in Haggai. So I'm going to read just uh, the first 11 verses from chapter 1, Haggai 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, 
the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, which each of you, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labours. Consider your ways. What's going on in this passage? Well, this is a time in the uh, Jewish history where the, uh, the people of Israel had been sent into exile, into Babylon, and then been held in captivity for 70 years, settled there, and then they've been brought back. Some of them have started to return and resettle in the area where they're from originally, setting up homes, making themselves comfortable, getting on with life again. And there was a lot of activity, lots of hard work, as we see in that passage, but with little fruit. They were working around, they were running around madly. You can almost see this kind of running around madly, trying to work, 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 trying to do things, but it just wasn't working. It wasn't coming through. It was fruitless. In verse 6 there, says, you've sown much, but harvested little. The hard work of the people, frustrating yield, frustrating return on all the hard efforts. God hasn't blessed their crops because of their preference for personal comfort over rebuilding of the temple. Verse 6 goes on to say, you know, you, you eat, you keep eating, but you're, you're still hungry. You keep drinking, but you're, you're not satisfied. You clothe yourselves, but you're cold. And you're earning wages, but it's like they're going into bags with holes in. The money's just disappearing. Their efforts to care for themselves and their families was just leading to frustration. So God says, in verse 5 and in verse 8, consider, or verse 7, consider your ways. He's, stop, he's using the prophet Haggai to, to stop them in their tracks. Consider your ways. What is going on here? And particularly, he's highlighting what are your priorities? What are your priorities? You're living in these beautifully panelled houses. You've set yourselves up. You're making yourself comfortable. You're comfortable. You're striving for this amazing lifestyle that perhaps you'd seen people in Babylon live, but you're forgetting your first calling is to me and to invest in my kingdom. God 
God here is asking his hearers to consider the prosperity that they're so wanting and seeking after is truly going to give them the satisfaction. And pointing out, well, it's not, is it? It's not leading to satisfaction. It's leading to frustration. The people are all about me, 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 getting it all sorted. Once I've got it all in place, then maybe I'll think about other things. Once I've had this refurbishment done in my house, once I've had this extension, once I've got this new wardrobe, and yet he's saying, consider your ways. Your priority is to be first and foremost to me. The consequences are so clear in here. The consequences of their choices. They're miserable. They're unsatisfied. They're frustrated. They're blind to the needs of others around them because they're totally absorbed on getting this perfect material, physical life sorted out. Self-centred. And what really comes across to me so powerfully when we think about this passage is they fail to please God. They fail to please God. They could have done with knowing Proverbs 23, verse 4, which says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. You know, they've got such an amazing visual image in that verse 6. Your wages, they're going into like a bag with holes in. What an image. You know, they're hard-earned cash. They're popping it in in their bags, and it's just dropping out behind them as they're walking along. It's just falling out. They go to pay... There was nothing there. They're so dissatisfied. But isn't it such a modern complaint as well? There's never enough money to go around. There's never enough money to do this to the house or to to pay for this, whatever it might be. That dissatisfaction. You know, we see it all around us, don't we? Celebrities who have it all money-wise... And yet they're so miserable. You sadly you hear of celebrities taking their life because they don't, you know, they've, got, they've got everything that the world says to have and yet they're, they're empty. But what are we absorbing from that? What do we take on? Do we just accept it all? Do we go with that too? You know, it's all around. Our work colleagues, the media. Have, must have, must have, must have. Does window shopping and advertising leave you feeling a sense of need? Those catalogues that come through the post. Oh, oh, I must have that. Oh, that looks great. God's not anti-money. Don't hear me on this. God's not anti-money and having things. But what he wants to see is what we do with the money and the resources that we have. Do we seek to honour him and prioritise him in the way we handle things? Or do we get caught up like the Israelites were at this moment? Are we caught up in, in having to be certain things, having to have certain things, and yet neglecting our priority to honour him and build his kingdom? What we do with money is so important. The spiritual consequence, there are spiritual consequences to our financial giving for ourselves, for others. Jesus taught a lot on money. In fact, 15% of what 
is recorded in the Bible of what he said was about money, 15%. There's more about how he, more about how we handle money and possessions than about any other single thing. Why? Because he knew it was important and such a massive potential idol for us. You know, he says, you can't serve two masters. And what were the two masters? God or money. God or money. He could have picked all sorts of things, but he knew that money is such an issue for us because it speaks about where our priorities are. It speaks about our trust in the Father. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10 says this. I think this is, we've got this one as well, Joshua. Now there is a great gain in godliness with contentment. These people weren't content. They were running after things constantly. They were working hard. They were not content with what they had. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And this is one of the misquoted, most misquoted verses coming up. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice there, it's not money itself, but it's the love of money. And yet so, it's so easy to get caught up in it. Because our world is beat, built on this money, 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 possessions, must have. And yet we have to make a conscious decision. God wants us to be different. He wants us to, to live as different people, as kingdom people. And this is such a vital part of that demonstration of being a kingdom person. How, what do we do with what God's given us? In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about the different areas where the seed lands. And he talks about the area where it lands in the thorns and the thorns grow up and choke it. And when he's explaining to his, his disciples afterwards what that means, he says the thorns are the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this world. Are you being entangled by the hunting after the riches and the pleasures of the world. I came across this, uh, this quote, I particularly like because it's a, a man called Dom, uh, who was an archbishop in Brazil, and he said this, uh, Dom Helder Camara, he said, I used to think when I was a child that Christ might have been exaggerating when he warned about the dangers of wealth. Today I know better. I know how very hard it is to be rich and still keep the milk of human kindness. Money has a dangerous way of putting scales on one's eyes a dangerous way of freezing people's hands, eyes, lips and hearts. I don't ever want that to be me. I don't ever want that to be me. And I really pray that it will never be you either. That you will always have that ability to take what God's given you and to be generous with it. You know, we need to take heed and learn from the example in Haggai. We don't want to be people who run around seeking to establish everything that the world would want, but miss the primary calling on our lives, which is to bring glory to God's name, to worship him, and to put him and his kingdom first.
in every area of our lives, including how we, what we do with our money and our possessions. Is your priority with your money and possessions to glorify him? Or is it to enhance your comfort? Are you striving for all the must-haves? The latest iPhone, the latest bit of kit, whatever it might be, the next pair of shoes for us men. Whatever it might be, you know, you know what it is for you, I'm sure there's, there's pulls on us. I've been so provoked, as I say, reading this Money, Possessions and Eternity. So provoked. It's so easy, that impulse buy, you know, out in the shop, oh, that looks really nice, I'd love to have that. I've always thought, wouldn't it be nice to have that? Always meaning the last two minutes since I set my eyes on it. It's that sort of thing. We have to take a check on it, don't we? We have to keep a check. And it's not that God doesn't want us to have fun and use our money to re- to, to, for recreation and, and, and investing in, in people around us and in, in homes. That's, that's, but it's, where are our priorities? Where are our priorities? Let's make sure God's first. Let's get that in the jar, if you like, first. Let's get those big rocks in the jar in terms of, let's sort out what we, how we're treating our money in terms of God and his kingdom and then sort out everything else. Because actually, he's our loving father, and he's not going to leave us lacking. He promises to meet our needs. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this. You know, the, the, the flowers in the field, they don't worry about how they're going to be clothed. The birds don't worry about where the food's going to come. How much more will our loving father? He knows what we need. He'll provide he calls us to be faithful. So let's, let's learn and take heed from this example of the unsatisfied consumer. But let's look at the other, the opposite, if you like, of what's presented by Paul in 2 Corinthians. So we have here the grateful giver. And this is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, and he's, he's basically, his two letters to the church in Corinth is trying to address certain things that have been going on in their church life. Not a, lot, a lot of them very, very difficult, actually. If you want to have a read and think, wow, he didn't hold back. Corinthians are some letters where you can really see Paul not holding back. He was not happy with some of the stuff that was going on there, and rightly so when you read it. I can't imagine leading a church like Corinth. But he, as part of it, talks about giving and generosity, and, and I would say two of the, the most clear ways, clear instructions given about giving are in chapters 8 and 9 of the second letter to the Corinthians. We're going to read some of chapter 9 today. And what's really interesting is this was an area that they were pretty good at, actually. It wasn't a major weakness. And yet he's pushing them on, as we'll see in this letter. He's pushing them on. Like I said to you, you're a generous church but I want to spur you on and encourage you on even more. So let's hear what Paul had to say to this church. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So they've got a reputation. They want the best for God's people. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. 
Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's pretty extensive, isn't it? All sufficiency in all things at all times. That kind of, that, that's complete. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing into many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So what have we got going on here? Paul is outlining the godly way to handle money and approach giving. He's spurring the Corinthian church on. Now they've already shown they're keen, they're willing, they want to do this. And he's saying, now come on, fulfill that desire. Make good your promise. And he's saying here that giving should be joyful, it should be generous, it should be voluntary, not forced and coerced, and that it should be bountiful. Verse 5 says, the collection is to be a response to God's gift, uh, grace in their lives. It's not something coerced by fear or judgment, but because of God's goodness showered upon them, they give from that. And that should be our response. Because of God's grace and mercy and love for us, which goes beyond all measure, from that amazing well of goodness, that's how we should give. Verse 6 goes on to say, and it should be bountiful, massive, huge giving. Paul's expanding the well-known proverb there, you reap what you sow. Now, God doesn't command Christians to give certain amounts. He doesn't say, you must give 10%. You must tithe. That's what tithe means, 10%. But he says, be bountiful in your giving. Be bountiful. And you know what? There's an adventure we can have there. There's an adventure. Follow God's promptings in how you should give and see what he will do. Be bountiful. Be generous. You know, maybe if you're not yet giving, maybe, maybe you don't feel you give yet. And we'll come on to talk about practicals in a minute. But, you know, God presses and stirs us and says, well, come on, walk with me in this. He provides opportunities to give generously. And he goes on to say, those who sow generously 
will reap generously. They will reap bountifully in terms of bearing fruit in the kingdom, in terms of uh, fruit in their own lives of righteousness. It may well be financially too, although he doesn't promise that. It may well be financially. There's there's an amazing, I don't know if you've heard of this uh, businessman and inventor, R.G. Letourneau. He made masses of money through inventing earth-moving machines. And he, made, he felt stirred by God to keep increasing how much he give, gave. And he finished by giving, or towards the end of his life, he ended up giving away 90% of what he earned. 90%. And there we are, oh, do we give 10%? Do we tithe before or after tax? <laughs> he blew that right out the window and he kept taking steps. And I would imagine he didn't leap straight to the 90%, but God, you know, as he stepped forward and found God faithful in that, he took another step. 90%, and this is what he said. I shovel out the money, and God shovels it back to me. But God has a bigger shovel. Sometimes God does bless us financially as we give, but not all the time. He does promise that he will reward us. There will be fruit but it might be in terms of our righteousness. It might be in terms of seeing others come to know Jesus. There's all sorts of ways. God loves to take what we offer and multiply it. You know, you think of the, uh, the boy with the loaves and the fishes and how he multiplied that. I don't want to spoil too much because Darren might be picking up on that next week. But that idea, God takes what we have. There's, there's, as we sow bountifully, there's a, a, a reaping that's bountiful too. Francis Bacon said, Money is like manure. It's not good unless it's spread around. Just in case you're thinking, well, surely there are there any Bible quotes about how this is good? Proverbs 11:25 says, "A generous man will prosper; he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed." And Proverbs 22:9 says, "A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor." Psalm 112:5 says, "Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice." God loves a cheerful giver, it says in verse uh, 7. And loves in the sense of, he, there's a sense of approval. You know, our dad is pleased when we're cheerful in our giving because it says, I'm trusting you, Father. I'm trusting. I've caught hold of your grace to me and I want to reflect it to the world around me. He loves to see that, the, that when our giving is joy motivated. It's not kind of twisting my arm. Oh, I suppose I better chuck in a few coppers. No, I want to give. I want to bless. I want to show something in my father's heart that he's demonstrated to me, to others around. It expresses something of our contentment in God. Yeah, I, I rejoice in what you've given me, God. However much or however little I feel I've got, I rejoice in what you have given me. You know, the consequences of, of the Israelites as described in Haggai, they were miserable, unsatisfied, they were blind to the needs of others, they were self-centred, self-absorbed, and they did not please God. The consequences of the giving as described in 2 Corinthians couldn't be more different. Positive for ourselves, positive for others, and they bring honour and glory to our maker. Giving is a privilege, and it's an honour to invest in the kingdom of God we get to reflect something of God's generosity to the world around us. Verse 11, it says that you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
I read from 1 Timothy earlier. He goes on a little bit later. So this is also Paul writing to Timothy. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, everyone in this room is rich. You might not feel it, but you are. You're the richest 5% of the world. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's good news, isn't it? He gives us everything to enjoy. And this is what we're called to be. They are to, be, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of what is truly life. Do good. Be rich in good works. So it's not just about money. We'll explore that a bit over the next couple of weeks as well. But be generous and ready to share because then we're storing up treasure in heaven. So I'm sure none of us wants to be the unsatisfied consumer. And I don't think any of us are the unsatisfied consumer in this room. But to me, it's a bit of a scale, I think. There's a generosity scale. And I would hope and pray that most of us want to be edging along more and more to be the grateful giver and to demonstrate kingdom-inspired giving. So how do we nudge ourselves across a generosity scale? I came across this when I was preparing so this is a generosity scale. Sorry, it's very, very small. But at one end, on the bottom left-hand side, you've got the stingy person, the non-generous, who says things like, I can't be generous at this time. I just can't possibly. I've got all this to sort out. Very haggy I won. Edging along a bit, the self-promotional. So how will this help me? If I give, what will I get out of it? Next it along, self-appraising. Makes me feel good. Yeah, I'll give because I get, it makes me feel all warm inside. It gives me that nice glow. Then doing good. Well, I'll give to good things when I feel like it. You know, yeah, if I come across something, a good cause, then I'll give into that. But then the safe. Well, I'll give what I can. Yeah, I've got a few spare pounds at the end of this month. Yeah, I'll, I'll give. Then you've got the percentage. And that's where lots of us kind of, kind of get stuck in our heads as Christians. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give 10%. Or I'm going to, oh, I'm going to up it. I'm going to, this year, I'm going to, I'm going to expand it to 11%. Great. And we, we aim for that. And then there's the sacrificial. Going that little bit further. It's going to cost. It's going to start to bite. This doesn't make quite sense. And this is the sort of giving that's encouraged in the New Testament. Because after all, our hero, Jesus, gave it all. But then there's the far end, the kingdom view. I have an eternal focus. I know when I give financially, when I give into situations, into people's lives, it's going to have an impact, a spiritual consequence that I can't even grasp the full extent of. And it's going to be storing up treasure for me in heaven too. To me, I found that a really helpful but challenging scale. I want to be nudging along. I don't know whether there's any significance in the shape of it, that it gets harder and harder as we get up. I don't know. I think sometimes for some of us, the first bit's quite hard, kind of that initial step. But what's so amazing is God is faithful and so good as we increase our giving, as we seek to represent something of him. He doesn't leave us lacking. He's our loving dad. 
So how do we nudge ourselves along? How do we get along there? The bottom line is it comes from the overflow of a forgiven soul. You know, we sing that line, from the overflow of the forgiven soul. We, are, we can nudge ourselves on, we can, get, we can move it on the scale by really grasping what it is Jesus has done for us. His grace is immeasurable. He gave it all. He came and died in our place. As we dwell on God's grace to us, that is the ultimate motivation when we consider being generous in any way. Our giving must always be in a response to his. He set the standard. He set the bar. He's made it possible. It should never be out of a sense of duty. It should be an overflow. The passage I read from 2 Corinthians 9, it finishes by saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He was the one who gave to us first. And 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus became poor that we might become rich. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions and Eternity, says this, As we learn to give, we draw closer to God, But no matter how far we move on in the grace of giving, Jesus Christ remains the unmatchable giver. It was he who left behind him the wealth of heaven to make the supreme sacrifice to deliver us from eternal poverty and grant us uh, eternal riches. No matter how much we give, we can never outgive God. So the greatest motivation, the greatest help for us if we want to move along this generosity scale, is to dwell on God's goodness, on his grace. Never move away from the gospel and the good news. Keep coming back to Jesus, our hero, the one who came and died and rose again, that we could know him forever and be part of this amazing kingdom calling. But how else can we, can we move along this scale? Other ways we can build generosity as I'm, uh, the last few minutes. Consider your ways. That's what the Haggai passage said. Consider your ways. What are your spending priorities? Take time to stop and think. When you have some money come in, what's your response with it? Whether that be through earnings, through a gift, through a birthday present, whatever it might be. When you receive some money, what's your first response? Woohoo! Yes, I can go and buy the new car. Or I can go and get this extension now. Or whatever it might be. Or is it, how can I bring glory to God? Consider your ways. Live simply. Live simply. Choose to identify and make that decision over again. Is this something I must have? Is it a need or is it just something I want? Live simply. Do you need everything you've got? Do you need to keep amassing and hordes and hordes of things? Live simply. It's about the daily decisions as well. You know, making a point of asking Father God each day, how can I be generous as I go into this situation? Help me to be alert to the needs of those around me. How can I be generous with my money when I'm in this particular context? How can I be generous with my time when I'm meeting so-and-so? It's those decisions to how to respond. How do you take? Is it an opportunity for you to take or is it an opportunity for you to give? to consume or to invest, to act selfishly or selflessly. 
Yeah, the other week, I think I told some of you this. I had a doctor's appointment. When I turned up for the doctor's appointment, they had no record of me being there. Uh, so I made a new appointment, and they were clearly having a bad day. The receptionist, there was various problems. It was just after the cyber attack, so I think you know, the computer stuff might have been playing into that as well. Clearly having a bad day. I made the appointment. As I was walking away back to the church offices, I realized I couldn't do the time that I booked. So I thought, well, I'd better go back and tell them and see if they can arrange another thing. And then I just felt God say, go and buy them some chocolates. Go and buy them some chocolates. So I went via Asda, bought the chocolates, went to the, back to the, the doctor's surgery and said, I'm really sorry, I can't make the appointment I booked. Can I have another one? So I did that and then said, and by the way, here are some chocolates. I just I figured you're having a bad day. I just wanted to bless you. And they were just blown away. They said, we've never had this. People just complain. In that moment, I could have chosen to go angry and complained and moaned, which the person in front of me was doing. Or I saw it, and I'm glad I took it. I don't always take it, but I saw it as an opportunity to be generous. It's in those moments, in those little decisions. How are we going to respond? Are we going to get on a high horse? What about me? What about my rights? What about I deserve? Or let's demonstrate something of God's character. It's in our daily decisions. Let's stir one ourselves. Let's stir one another. Let's stir each other up in this. You know, read the Bible. Get into what it says about money and giving. I've said Jesus taught 15% of his recorded words were about money. Let's see what he had to say. Get it in you. Read this book, Money, Possessions and Eternity, but be warned, it will challenge. Let's spur each other on. If you know there's people around that you think, they're so generous, just take a note of what is it they're doing. Learn from them. Let's help one another in this. And review your current giving to the church, finally. This is a way of edging along. You know, it's not all about giving to the church, but I believe that actually we need to give into God's kingdom. And our primary way we can do that is into the local church. And I'd encourage you to do that, especially if you haven't done so recently. If you've, you know, especially those of us who've got standing orders, we set it up and it just happens every month. Take time, stop and think about it. Is there a way that you can adventure that bit further with God in this? How can you go along that scale if you like? So let's not be unsatisfied consumers, but rather seek to be grateful givers. I'm going to finish with these words that I read earlier from 1 Timothy 6. I charge you not to be haughty, nor to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Let me just pray as we finish. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't hold back, that you gave it all. We thank you for the amazing gift of grace, of forgiveness, of a certainty with you, the hope spent in eternity Oh, with the living God. We thank you for your amazing goodness. We thank you for your generosity. And Lord, I pray you'd help us all to be generous people. Lord, help us to adventure with you in this, to reflect more and more what it means to be sons and daughters of the living God, secure in who we are, secure in all that you've given us. Help us to spread it around, go about doing good, sharing what we have, investing in your kingdom, in the people around us, 
Lord God, help us not to settle, but to keep pressing on in this area. Make us a generous people that would make generous people around us. Lord God, I thank you that you even call us to be involved in this. You could just intervene and yet you choose to use us to display your glory to the world. Let us rise up to that challenge. Let us spur each other on. Let us change the atmosphere around us as we do so. Thank you, Lord. Amen.